Hello, this is Nathan Ray, and this is Tyler Sazen. Is that how you pronounce your last name? It's Sison. 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 Tyler Sison. How do we know each other? Well, we met at a wedding. It was a mutual friend. I guess it's kind of weird to say mutual friend because he's my cousin, but we met at a wedding, and I think he just overheard me talking about a movie or something like that. I mean, he just had had to be a part of the conversation. Yes. So your cousin, Ricky, and I, we've both been very good friends for years, and I didn't get a chance to attend his actual wedding, but... Not very many people did. (laughs) No. (laughs) But it was good to go to the wedding reception itself. But while I was there, I was struggling to find someone I could connect with, someone I could just have a decent conversation with, because Ricky was obviously busy entertaining his guests. Yeah. There are quite a few people who are there who, let's just say that they don't like me. They don't have a whole lot of good reasons to want to be in conversation with me. And so my options were either play on the bouncy castle for two hours or just try to find someone random to have a good conversation with. And when I heard you talking about movies with someone else, you had specifically mentioned Army of Darkness. I thought to myself, okay. That sounds like someone I have something in common with. Yeah. I'll check him out. I'll see what he's all about. We ended up having a conversation about Memento and how yeah. much you love that movie and how much I thought it was just a little bit overrated. And I think it sort of established this dynamic between us of where we could reasonably agree to disagree. We didn't have to like end up throwing rocks at each other's face because... We just didn't like each other's opinions. Yeah. Yeah. And another thing that sort of made an impression on me is just how much you look like your cousin, Ricky. Really? Yes. You do. You look like the version of Ricky that's cosplaying as Jesus. That's funny. And in my mind, like whenever I've thought about doing this podcast with you, I've always thought that I'm doing it with Ricky Jesus. (laughs) That's funny. I don't know how you feel about that kind of nickname. That's okay. I'll take it. I'll take it. I mean, like, okay, that that being said, ever since I started growing out my hair, it's always been Jesus or something akin to Jesus. So it's not a bad nickname, I'm going to be honest. There's, there's worse nicknames to have. Did you have any impressions of me in regards to the conversation that we were having? It's interesting because it's like, I definitely was very off-put that you kind of injected yourself into the conversation, you know, like, just to be honest here. But it's like, I think more than anything else like that, it's nice to have a conversation where the convincing, like, criterion is like laid out at the beginning and I I really appreciate that because sometimes people say you know like I feel this way about whatever I actually wrote wrote a whole thesis about this but it's just like I I feel this way you know it's like why well it's just it's just a good movie you know or it's just a bad movie you know and that's the conversation ends and it's like I wouldn't say it's like the highest compliment I could give to someone because I think it just requires any amount of critical thinking but that was one of the first things I noticed is that like all of your arguments had a point to them at least and it made it easier to kind of bounce off one way or another that we could agree or disagree because then it became let's talk about these points not let's argue around in circles with new goalposts each time right this movie is good because the actor is hot yeah or yeah this movie is good because it's exciting yeah yeah speaking of movement and activity how exactly has god been working in your life over the last week you know what it's been interesting because I have struggled with a lot of different chronic health issues and 
Like I deal with celiac disease. I like broke my wrist when I was 13. It still has never healed right. All this kind of stuff and like other stuff too. It's just, just great. But the problem is, is that like, you know, at churches, one of the big things they do is healing, right? You know, they're, they're big on like saying like, we heal people and everything else like that. But as someone who's dealt with chronic health issues since like very young, I, I can tell you for a fact that like, I haven't experienced that much of the healing part of it. So just recently in the night where people were called up to pray, I had kind of a revelation about, I'll just say like what I deserve. I guess, in a sense, because in the past, I've felt like I haven't gotten healing because I didn't do this or didn't do that. But more recently, I've been putting a really big effort into being really serious about my faith and like really reading the Bible every day, thinking really thoughtfully, attending church as much as I can, and like just like really being a serious Christian in all senses of the word. And it's just like was an overwhelming feeling of just like, now I just got to wait. Like I did all my homework. Now it's God's turn on the fruit project here. You know what I'm saying? Like he has to do his part. So it's just a nice feeling of like waiting because even if there's stressful moments or sad moments or whatever, I just feel like I'm doing my part. And that's just like, it's a very nice feeling in the middle of a hurricane of other things. Yeah, I totally relate to that. I've been waiting on God to do stuff in my life for years. Sometimes there's a payoff. Sometimes I'm still waiting. Sometimes there's an anti-climax. Yeah. But I guess I can go into those sort of feelings later on in the discussion when we're talking about the nature of catharsis. Yeah. But before we do that, if I might speak to how God has been working in my life over the last week or so, two things come to mind. First of all, about two weeks ago, my sister sent me a link to this study that was being done by the U of A for people with autism and studying how people, specifically adults with autism, how their minds think. And she said, you might want to just check the study out and see if it's something you can do. So I contacted the researchers, had something of a delayed response with them. That's researchers for you right there. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. They called me over the phone to do a bit of an interview. And at the end of the interview, they said that I needed to give them my prescription, my eyeglasses prescription, because I was going to be going through an MRI machine in order to measure my brainwave activity. So I called the optometrist where I got this prescription. Yeah. They never picked up the phone. It took me a solid week of just trying to get them to answer the freaking phone, but they never did. And so after the week was up, I just decided to check out their physical location at West Edmonton Mall. I got the prescription that I needed. While I was there at West Edmonton Mall, I decided that it would be worth it to visit a used video game store that's located there. And while I was making my way up to the used video game store, I was passing by a clothing store that happened to be run by an old friend of mine, Jessica. Wow. She and I both know each other from Bible college and we hadn't seen each other in about two years. I want to say since my 22nd birthday, that's when I last saw her in person. And man, like she's had a really rough time. She's been in an abusive relationship. She's had to deal with all the crap that's going on with COVID. Thankfully, she's in a better place right now, but you can also see that she's still trying to heal from a lot of emotional wounds. She talked about how she wanted to go to church, but she didn't feel like God was leading her to a church just yet. And so like, I was just like, hey, you can come to my church if you want. It was an interesting plot twist. And the thing is, it wouldn't have happened if my sister hadn't sent me that study from the U of A. Yeah. 
the circuitous routes that life sends us on. Yeah. So that's the first way that God's been working in my life. The second way that God has been working in my life is that recently my roommate, Caleb, he got COVID. Oh no. Yeah. He's downstairs right now recovering from his illness. And as far as I'm aware, I don't have any symptoms. I don't have COVID. I feel perfectly fine. And it's just this further confirmation that as much as everyone around me has been living in fear throughout this entire fiasco that we're in, I've put myself in situations where by all means I should have gotten COVID and yet I haven't gotten COVID. And I keep finding myself in these situations and it's like, okay, I guess God, you're protecting me somehow even though this is for a virus that has a 99% survival rate, I could probably get through it fine, but somehow you are protecting me from this. I know that's something a lot of people are going to ask, well, like, why you? Why not other people who've gotten sick? Why not other people who've actually died from this thing? Why is it that you're not suffering this? And it's just like, I don't know, but I'm still thankful. Now, transitioning to the main topic on hand about satisfaction. Yeah. Not just in one's own life and one's own spiritual protection, but in the nature of stories, the nature of catharsis. When we were talking about our like versus dislike of the movie Memento, I think one of the main points that it boiled down to was I didn't feel like the movie was cathartic enough at the end. And you didn't care that it was cathartic or not because it was still a realistic representation of what it was like to live with short-term memory loss. Yeah. Yeah. Or amnesia. And so if I might spoil a 20-year-old movie for our audience. Great movie. movie. Yes. Yes. A movie that probably shouldn't be spoiled because it was spoiled for me. And I think that that probably lessened my enjoyment of the experience. But the movie is about this guy with amnesia. He basically can't form long-term memories. He resets roughly every 15 or 20 minutes. And he's out on a manhunt for his wife's killer. He's trying to track down all these different clues, trying to find out who the killer is. And it turns out at the end of the movie that he already found the killer long ago. He already got vengeance, but it doesn't really matter to him because his memory is always resetting to the point where he can never really move on from the loss of his wife. And so he sort of tricks himself into becoming a serial killer, just looking for other people to target and kill. I think it says it even in the movie, finding his next Ed G or like whatever the name is of the character. John G. Yeah. John G. Yeah. John G. Yeah. Whatever it is. Yeah. And I remember thinking to myself after watching the movie is just like, wow, this is like really depressing. This guy, eventually, he's probably going to get caught. He's probably going to be sent to prison for life or sent to a mental institution. And I'm not entirely sure if I really enjoyed this movie, because it was all building up to the reveal that nothing was as it seems, but it did so in a way that just felt fundamentally hollow. When I watch a movie, I want to watch a movie where a character grows and develops. And this is a character that can't grow or develop or become a better person in any way. And so it, it just felt like, okay, it's an interesting concept. It's a good early piece of work from Christopher Nolan. 
but I don't really feel the need to watch this movie again. And so obviously for you, you didn't feel that way. Not even close. And so if I might ask, why didn't you feel that way? Well, I think to have this conversation, I think we have to like, because we didn't have enough time last time and we also kind of didn't, we're early in the setting. Now I'm totally in the zone right now, right? So let's first define catharsis, right? Cathartic, whatever that means, right? It's like for you, like not even talking about the actual definition online, what does catharsis mean? Like, is that just a satisfying ending? Like, what is catharsis? Catharsis is this sense of release. Yeah. Yes. I, I would agree. I just want to make sure we're on the same page here. So we're not like arguing in circles about what is cathartic or not. Because like, yeah. you know, for me, like how I imagine catharsis, you know, in a very classic sense, is it's like you watch a movie, school bully, bullies, nerdy kid, nerdy kid trains in boxing, knocks out the bully. You know, that's cathartic, you know? You know, it's, it's satisfying because it, in a sense, it's like that whole idea. And I mean, like in a more traditional sense, catharsis is to get out those feelings of aggression we have on ourselves, right? So like watching a uh, boxing match makes it feel very nice because, you know, we didn't have to punch somebody, you know? So it's like catharsis is obviously a very satisfying emotion, but like, it's the idea that like we get something out of our system, right? So for me, when I like go exercising, that's my catharsis for myself, right? When I like lift heavy weights and, you know, do everything else. That gets it out of my system. But for me, when I go into a movie theater or I read a book or anything like that, like I'm not going in to like settle some like, you know, grievances I had with the world. I'm there to read a story, right? You know, whatever the story is, instead of trying to impose whatever like view I want of something, I just let the view be imposed on me because it's the world of the characters that are in the, you know, the whatever, whatever it is, right? I just read the book Dune the other day. That book is so hard if you're not just letting the world come on to you. So like, so for me in the movie, it's like, I was actually reflecting on this last night, just kind of like mentally preparing myself for what we're going to talk about today. And it's just like, it just depends on what is satisfying for you. Because in a sense, at the end of the movie, you find out, yeah, he got everything he wanted. And it's like, it, it actually is kind of satisfying in that moment. Like when, is it Eddie? Is that, is that the guy's name? I always forget, I always forget his name. The, John G. No, the handler, the handler, like what's his name? Like the guy who abuses him. I want to say it's Teddy or Eddie or something like that. Teddy. Yes, Teddy. Yeah. Anyway, so it's like, you know, Teddy is like, you know, it's, it's upsetting, but at the same time too, you're kind of satisfied because you're kind of like, oh, like he did do all these things he needed to do. And then you feel a little bad because you're like, okay, but like eventually he just starts doing some bad stuff. But like, it just depends on where you delineate the line of satisfaction. So instead for me, because that's so hard to figure out what is satisfying or not. For me, I stopped watching movies a long time for that same reason. I would only watch movies that were satisfying. It just Then they just became boring because no movies were satisfying for me. So it's like, instead, like I delineate, I'm like, what is this talking about? Are we learning something about humanity? What's the case study in this sense? And it's like, that's why I love Memento because the case study is humanity through the view of mental illness, which is clearly like in this case, like, you know, he can't remember anything that's outside of his immediate focus. You know, like how many times have you said like, you know, to yourself, like I can't multitask or whatever. Well, this guy literally, anytime he switched his tasks, he forgets about the last one. Like the, the one scene in the movie that blew my mind away was the one scene where he's sitting in the bathroom with the wine bottle and he like, he loses focus. And he's like, why am I in here? Am I drunk? Oh, I'll just take a shower. So he just takes a shower while this guy's like, you know, coming after him. You're just like, wow, like those movies to me are more satisfying than any, like he kisses the girl at the end moment, you know, because there's, there's something happening. There's a real world happening here, not just like get some happy serotonin, you know, stuff in my brain. So I, that's, that's why I really appreciate it. Just had some really genuine moments that agree with the world and like, because it's trying to be realistic, agree with the real world as well. Okay. 
would you say that it's not just agreeing with the real world in terms of logical progression, but it's also in some ways reflective of who we are as humans, even though most of us on the planet don't have to deal with amnesia in our daily lives? I would say so, because just look at all the other characters in the movie, like how they interact with him, like how people abuse people with mental illness is just displayed in that movie. Like the two scenes that come to mind immediately is, well, the one with the apartment where like the guy's renting out two different hotel rooms to the guy. It's like, this guy likes him. Like, like generally, you know, why is he trying to abuse him with money? Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, of course like, they're empty. So he needs the money, but like, come on, you know? And then like on the other side, I think about the one scene where the girl is forcing him to go kill somebody. Like she's knowingly doing it. You know, once again, like he's did a terrible thing to her partner. So let's not mince words here. It's not like she doesn't have a reason to do this, but she also is abusing somebody with a very clear mental illness, right? Like, you know, two wrongs don't make a right there, right? So it's just like, even if not everyone deals with amnesia or whatever, everyone else in the movie who's dealing with, like, let's say someone with dementia, even a little bit more like a practical kind of example of this thing, right? And then even more than that, it just kind of also begs the question of like, how far would you go? you know, for the another, another thing, you know, for like, you know, how far would you go to get vengeance? And it's just like, it's just never worth it, right? You know, the whole thing about like, if you broke all the rules to catch the devil, you know, what was the point anyways? And I think in that sense, the movie, it still has some things that are worthwhile to talk about, about the human condition, about how getting revenge isn't really going to solve anything. And the people who try to help you in your quest for vengeance, they probably have an agenda of their own. And even things like the self-serving nature of our memories and how we tend to cast ourselves as the heroes of the story that we live through. And just, we refuse to consider that perhaps we might be the villain. Yeah. The last thing, because this was all, this is directly from the class I studied it in, but like the wonderful thing about the movie, actually, that's really cool, is showing that memory is reconstructive. And this is anybody. It doesn't matter if you have a mental illness or not. How memory works is essentially, instead of instead of it being a perfect picture, we, like, get enough of the picture. Like, you know, this, this, and this. And then we kind of, like, build it up from there, right? So, like, you may, you may have, like, he had green eyes. There was a bonfire going on. And this song was playing. And then you just build up everything else. Like, you make up stuff. It's reconstructed. We make it up every single time we remember it. And so it's like the one scene in the movie in Memento, remember where he's saying like, you killed your wife. Remember you overdosed her with the insulin. And he like sees himself in the moment instead of the other guy he's talking about. And it's like, that's a perfect example. Like, it doesn't matter which one you think is correct. He's reconstructing the memory to fit his purposes because he's remembering the key aspects. It was like, you know, inconsistent husband, can't remember things, you know, like death. And he's just making everything else up in between like doesn't matter what the truth is that's how memory works like we can never hold the perfect picture when someone says photographic memory they're no more accurate because memory is reconstructive so like that's another way that it actually just locks on to life it just was a perfect showing of that yeah and i think all of these are great wonderful points all of these are leading to a fantastic discussion on yeah. the movie however I still can't retroactively appreciate the movie more because of what we're talking about. Because at the end of the day, not only do I find the ending fundamentally unsatisfying, but I also think that the main character is a bit of an idiot. And I think for myself, the movie that I would want to compare Memento to in terms of something else that made me feel a little bit of the same things, but also some things that were a bit different is probably Fight Club. Great movie. Which is also 
about a self-serving protagonist with memory problems and an ending that doesn't always feel satisfying unless you're an anarchist in that case the ending is perfect but I think what I can appreciate about Fight Club more than a movie like Memento is the sense that not only can we have these discussions about the human nature, what it means to be a man, what it means to have a place in society that feels purposeful and how to find purpose without being destructive, but also it just feels like the main character is intelligent enough where I can still root for him. He has enough of a moral conscience and he has enough of an arc where he's one person at the beginning of the movie and he's a totally different person at the end of the movie. And that is what I can appreciate about the movie more than Memento, even though at the end of the day, I still have very mixed feelings about Fight Club. Okay, I'm trying to, okay. Is the mark of a satisfying movie for you then, character growth, like the hero's journey? I think so, yeah. Because it's just like, that's fair. If it is, you know what? No problems. You know, like, that can be your mark. But like, is that what makes the movie truly satisfying? I think that plays a huge part of it. Yeah. As you're verbalizing it, I'm going to have to agree with that. At the same time, that character growth, it has to be in a direction that makes sense. Yeah. That's usually what the hero's journey is, right? Think Hercules, you know, think all these classic stories, right? Yeah. Obvious examples that come to mind would probably be Game of Thrones and maybe even the sequel trilogy of Star Wars, where with Game of Thrones, you're building up for eight seasons this idea of a young queen, Daenerys Targaryen, going from land to land, reconquering her family's old kingdom, being portrayed as someone who is tough but still benevolent. And then in the penultimate episode, she absolutely snaps and just becomes a genocidal tyrant. And it's like, okay, that doesn't make sense. And with the sequel trilogy you have this back and forth of things like the main character, Ray and her struggle to find her family. And it's an arc that gets resolved and then gets brought back and then gets resolved and then gets brought back. And you have Kylo Ren in the mix, who's kind of evil, but kind of trying to go on his own redemption arc. But at the same time, he's also switching back to being evil. And I think in those instances, it's, it's just like, well, I don't really care about the set pieces or how cool the cinematography looks, or even if these characters take a shocking turn in their journey, it doesn't make sense. It just doesn't make sense. And I think on the other hand, there's also the idea of a character journey that I could potentially see the logical progression of, but at the same time, it also feels like their journey is being used as a mouthpiece by the creators of the work in order to serve some sort of agenda. Christian films, hugely guilty of this. Probably the one that I despise most of all is Cider House Rules. In that movie, you have this young orphan played by Tobey Maguire, who's being trained to be a doctor by his mentor, played by Michael Caine. And there's a point of conflict between the two of them in the sense that Michael Caine's character is in favor of performing abortions on young women and Tobey Maguire's character isn't. It's this point of conflict that goes throughout the entire movie until the end 
when Toby McGuire's character has the option of performing an abortion on a young woman and he decides to go through with it. And for myself, as someone who is very much pro-life, anti-abortion, not only do I get a visceral reaction of seeing a decision like that being portrayed in a uniformly positive light, but I also felt like, in a sense, the character betrayed his values. And I was being told by the screenwriter and the director that, no, this is actually a stage of character growth for him because sometimes you just have to break the rules in order to serve the greater good. And that's something I can't find any satisfaction in, even if I can convince myself it's a logical progression of the character. Yeah. Because at at that point, it feels like it becomes propaganda. So, okay. Because like my thing is, is that like, okay, so like, have you ever read the book 1984? Let's start here. I've read a plot summary, yes, but I haven't read the text itself, but I know what you were talking about. I I recommend reading the book. It's a great book. Like, the the great thing about the book, in a sense, is that it's not really propaganda one way or another, in my opinion. It's a sketch. You know, it's kind of like a, it's like, what would it, what could it be like if we went so far this way, right? But the thing is, like, how that could come to be could come from so many different directions. And it's just like, that's kind of the beauty of the story is that, at the end of the day, I felt very not satisfied by the ending. Like, let's, let's go there again. You know, I was so like, oh, like, you know, like it made sense the entire way to the ending. Like everything lined up. They were leading up to this. They said it from the beginning what the ending is. You get to the ending. You're like, I don't like that. You know, it's just like it's just, you get this hollow feeling. In you, right. But like the thing is, is that like talking about a character development that like you're like, come on. Like the whole point of the entire book is that I think it's Winston, the main character, says like, look, like I can think two plus two equals four. Like that's one of his big mantras. And he gets so tortured. He literally begins to think two plus two is five. And it's like this big plot twist, you know, that like he actually can have his whole mind rearranged to think this other way, you know, because that would be game changing if you could be tortured that bad. You know, and I'm sure you can be. I'm just saying like he's so staunch about it. But at the very end, he does believe it. And he changes his mind, even though at, throughout the entire book, it's leading up to him making this great revolution towards it. He doesn't. And it's like, it's more satisfying that way, though, because of it, because it shows you how indomitable the force of the big brother is in that book. You know what I'm saying? Like, it, that's the satisfying aspect to it, in a sense. It's not that you wanted this, like you did want this guy to overcome, but you kind of now understand how terrifying the world that the writer's trying to portray. Right. And it's like, that's always what I always invite for any book is it's like, take yourself out of the individual characters. For instance, like, like I'm not saying this is the actual message of that movie you just saw, but let's recast in another light. What if the terrifying aspect is to how much you homogenize morality in the medical field, right? Like, I don't know. You know what I'm saying? Like that could be a way you could take a stab at it, but like, that's why at the end of the day, I think it's not good to judge films through the eye of satisfaction because you're cutting yourself off from the great lessons that humans have to offer one another. Cause like, let's say we have a terrible slant or a good slant on a certain story or not. There's still value to be had because human stories are being told. And that's why at the end of the day, even for cathartic stories or non-cathartic stories, cathartic stories being like Scott Pilgrim versus the world, one of my favorite movies and like my favorite movies of all time and non-cathartic stories. Like when we just talked about Memento fight club, 
even The Godfather is another non-cathartic movie, even though it is cathartic, even though it's not cathartic, even though it is cathartic. Because it's just like the point of these movies is not necessarily just about the good guy wins or there's a developing journey. It's about humans are in a situation that is particular to them. How would they react? And you cast yourself in the light. How would I react in that situation? That's, to me, what always makes a movie satisfying is when it's not like humans are reacting like crazy, crazy clowns or something like that, but you're just kind of in your head like, wow, like this is telling me something I never would have thought about in my own time. You know, I never would have just like journaled about this kind of thing. I think what's interesting about 1984 is that even though it's unsatisfying and even though the main character goes from having principles to having not as many principles, if none at all, towards the end. Yeah. It's still reflective of the world in the sense of this is somewhere we could go as a society. This is the danger of where we'd be headed, of just removing the ability to critically think for ourselves and be led into accepting falsehoods about the world. And it's, I think, in some ways, it's universal and it's happening across the world, depending on which country you're living in you have governments that are trying to rewrite the thoughts of their own citizens. In the case of a piece of work like the Cider House Rules, I feel like you're going to be on board with the message of the movie if you are aligned with a certain political ideology. And if you're not aligned with the political ideology of the movie, then it's not going to feel as real to life. It's not going to feel as universal. And so I don't have any problem with a movie or a book or a TV show that has an unsatisfying end. If at the end of the day, that unsatisfying end, you can make an argument that it's reflective of a universal truth. And I think that's part of the reason why I don't hate Memento. I just think it's a little overrated. I don't hate Fight Club. I just feel a little uncomfortable watching it. I, I, I do too. Yeah, but I absolutely hate the Cider House rules. That's fair. Because it's a wonderfully made movie. It's got great acting. It's got great art direction, great music, but it's promoting a message that I ultimately cannot get behind. So like the me- you have to also agree with the message to watch the movie? If, if I want to enjoy it, I have to, at the very least, think that the message it aligns with some sort of higher truth. Okay, so have you ever seen The Godfather? No, I haven't. Okay, that's a great one. I recommend that movie every single time I talk to somebody who likes movies because it's a great movie. But, okay, my question is, it's like, how do you watch any movie with killing in it then? Is it not the same thing? Because, like, I don't agree with killing. No. Like, I, I, okay, and I don't, I'm also not a pacifist. I'll make it very clear here. I'm not a staunch pacifist. I don't believe everything is solved with just nonviolence. But it's just like, can you not watch any movie that doesn't agree with any message you don't agree with? Or is it only certain messages? Well, in the, for the aspect of killing or whatever, the, it doesn't matter. The example that comes to mind is the movie Joker, which is a movie about this mentally unstable guy who he works as a clown. He has a series of bad events that happen to him and that inspires him to become the Joker. And he goes out and he kills a whole lot of people. And I think that's a movie where at the end of it all, when he becomes the Joker and he sort of gets the recognition that he wants, albeit not in the way that he initially intended, but as a psychopathic murderer 
who is in some way representative of the people. It's unsatisfying in the sense of, okay, I do feel a little violated watching this movie. I feel uncomfortable at the graphic violence. I don't really like the way that this character is going. But speaking outside of myself, I can still understand this to be a tragedy in the sense that you had this guy who wanted to do the right thing and things just kind of conspired against him so that he he could become this psychopathic murderer. And I think it speaks to the idea that there's a sense of evil in all of us. A lot of us would like to believe that we wouldn't snap and we wouldn't go and do crazy evil things because we have morals and values, but that's not always the case. And I also just like speaking for myself, I've struggled with a lot of the same, I'm going to say frustrations that the main character of that movie has dealt with, the feeling that I'm not respected enough, the feeling that people are putting me down because of the disability that I have. Yeah. And I know for myself, if I didn't have a high moral code that I tried to adhere to, if I didn't have anything in my future that I was looking forward to, I'll be totally honest, I would probably just snap and go ahead and start killing people. And so watching that movie, it made me feel uncomfortable, but it, it was personally cathartic for me in the sense that, okay, the direction this guy has gone down in his life, it's one that I'm dangerously on the edge of going down myself. And so I just need to not think of going there. Yeah, I can't be that guy. I have to be better. Okay, so like kind of bringing it back all the way back to catharsis, right? Like the yeah. conversations about like, okay, funny story about me. I have a really hard time watching a lot of TV shows and stuff like that and movies if they're like embarrassing. Because like, and I don't mean embarrassing in like whatever sense. I mean like in a like, like the, one of those like socially awkward, like the office kind of thing, like where it's like, you know, people are not doing what they should be doing. I can't watch those movies at all. I, I'm like, ah, too awkward. And I have to like run out of the room. My wife always makes fun of me. But besides that, one of the gifts I would say I have when it comes to these kinds of things, I, I don't feel the need to put myself in the story for it to be satisfying. A great book that I read in university, it was called Halfbreed. And it was about a Métis woman. And like, none of it relates to me. In fact, the ending is like satisfying only because you know the ending of her story, not not because of the ending of the book. You know, like she gets abused by like literally every single person she meets outside of her immediate family and just continually is continually is abused as a <laughs> as a native woman in Canada. And you're just like, wow, this blows, you know, <laughs> just the entire time. But what makes the book great is that it doesn't need to include Tyler Sison at any point in the book. It never does, because it's not about me at all. And like, have you read much Shakespeare? I've read Macbeth and I've read Romeo and Juliet. Okay. So like I, I've done, I won't say extensive reading, but I've read a couple plays of Shakespeare. I would like to read some more. They're good stuff. But I would say that even plays like Othello or Romeo and Juliet or Macbeth or any of these things are satisfying, even though they give no catharsis. And it's like, it does not confer any of the advantages that you were talking about earlier about being like messages you agree with or anything. But I would still say those movies are very satisfying to watch. So like, I was just wondering what your opinion was about those things, if we're going to. Well, I think the message of Macbeth, it's fairly clear 
don't make a deal with a witch or a trio of witches for the sake of power, or else you're going to get yourself screwed over in the end. It's also historical allegory too, which is nice. Yeah. And I think with a play like Macbeth, the ultimate message of that play is that good will triumph over evil. But if you're on the side of evil, then you will get screwed in the end. And so that's an interesting portrayal of tragedy in a way that can still feel cathartic. Because like, imagine a Marvel movie where you're focusing entirely on the villain and the villain gets defeated at the end. And you have a series of movies that are just like that. Like Infinity War, that's an example of a movie that could be considered a tragedy because half the cast gets killed off at the end of that movie and the bad guy wins. But also, you know that at the end of the next movie, everything's going to be undone. And so I think it would be very interesting to play with audience expectations if instead of just focusing on a villain for an entire movie and having him win at the end, instead focusing on the villain for a series of movies and having him continue to lose and then continue to go back and fight with the heroes. That's the movie Megamind, right? Yeah, that is actually the movie Megamind. That's why that movie's goaded, but whatever. Yeah, yeah. Megamind is, in some ways, a reflection of the human condition. (laughs) So are Marvel movies, like, your favorite? Like, do you really like Marvel movies? I'm not enamored with them as much as most of my peers are. I dislike Marvel movies a lot, (laughs) personally. Because they're so satisfying. They're too, well, they're also too formulaic often. I don't really enjoy the characters that, like, because I used to be a really big comic buff, and it's just like, they're just shoehorning the characters into really satisfying story arcs that fit a movie. And it's just like, okay, like everybody else can watch it because they only have like two hours to watch a movie. But like, I I spent the time to read all the comic books. Like I don't need to watch a movie where they just make everybody have the hero's journey that fits in a nice, nice little bow. Yeah. That's just, (laughs) just curious. But anyways, I'm just going to say, I think that the message of Macbeth is not that simple. We're not here to describe every single plot and like explain how we both have gotten it wrong right? Because that's not going to be beneficial to anyone because then we're just going to be like, you know, doing dialectics for an hour or something like that. But I think at the end of the day, my take on this whole catharsis conversation is that if I wanted to have everything be satisfying, I would watch a children's movie or I would watch a Marvel movie. And that's okay. But for me, all of the greatest pieces of literature that you can look up online for books and movies and everything else like that, do not include like the very simplistic, straightforward hero's journey. Like Don Quixote, a book that I was reading for a little bit there. I don't know if you've heard about it. It's like a classic comedy. But the entire premise is that this guy decides he's a knight and he's just terrible at it. But because he has these hilariously like idealistic ways of being a knight, it's to make fun of all of the other like romantic knighthood stories at the time. But the guy goes through no hero's journey where he becomes wiser by the end of it. In fact, he's dumber and dumber as it goes on in a sense, like, because he's continually not learning, you know? And it's like, if every single story had to be satisfying, you wouldn't have half of the stories that we have that are the great stories of humanity, you know? Like, I was even talking to my friend about this last night. Like, I would even cast, like, I don't believe, like, as a Christian, I think it would be heresy to say that the Bible is just a children's story. But at the same time, I get why people say it's just to allay people's fears because everything wraps up so nicely in like the gospels where it's just Jesus comes back and everything is good, you know? And it's like, you can continue on the story of the Bible and like, there's other things that go on. But it's like, if I wanted to feel satisfied, I would read the Bible because I know that's supposed to satisfy me and make me feel secure and safe. If I wanted to feel satisfied, I'd read 
fix-it guides and everything else like that. But instead, when I watch a movie or when I read a story, it's because I, I want to learn something more than just feeling satisfied. You know, and that's the thing. A lot of life's conclusions do not have satisfying ends. And my friend said, that's probably a unique take is that you don't want to be satisfied by your free time. And I, and I said, yes, <laughs> like, absolutely. I know this is not like a typical point of view, but my big point on all of these things is that if I wanted to just be placated the entire time, I don't know why I'm going to high class, like trying to go to high class things or trying to understand things at a higher level, because I just want to be satisfied at the end of the day. I don't need higher reasons to say it was cool when the guy shot the guy. But instead, because I do want to think critically and go another level deeper, I don't want to just satisfy my, oh, I cannot be satisfied rather just by the simplicity of the good guy won because of the last moment. That's kind of my, that's the crux is that I think that a lot of people would fall into the category and it's not, it's not an insult to a lot of people here, but I think a lot of people would fall into the category of like, it's good enough because it's a satisfying movie. It's a good movie. You know, like you watch some movies like the Italian job. The only thing I remember about that movie was just that it was cool. There's nothing really deeper about it, I don't think. It was just a cool-looking movie, you know? But you watch movies like Inception, and there was definitely something deeper there than just a cool movie, I think, you know? And so that, to me, is what's more important. It's the movies that stay with you, not just the movies that kill your time, I guess. So you mentioned earlier that, specifically, when you were reading the book Half-Breed, which is about this Métis woman, that you weren't necessarily reading that book because you were trying to find yourself in it. And I find that a little interesting because you are in a sense, a half breed yourself. You are half white, half Filipino. And I think looking at what other people are looking for in their movies is that they want representation. They want to see a black superhero. They want to see an Asian superhero. And so I'm curious how you might respond to those kind of people who might just be invested in a story because the main character looks like them. And it's not because they're looking for any deeper human meaning. I don't know. People do stuff all the time that I agree with and don't agree with. Like, I think that representation is kind of a different conversation because I don't think people just watch the entire time because there's a black superhero or something like that. They might go to the movie or they might start the show because there's a black superhero in it. But I don't think people are just looking at the melanin of someone's skin the entire time they're watching a movie. So it's just like, it's just something to get people in the door. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, it's like, it's like when people hear that the song has a certain reference or this band does a certain song or they will do a certain song this concert. It's just to get people in the door. So it's like, I never think people are just sitting in the movie theater. And as soon as the black guy, le- like, you know, leaves the scene, they just cover their eyes, you know, like it's more complicated than that, but it's like representation is a different conversation than any of the other things, because that's probably infinitely more satisfying than seeing the, the guy get the girl, because it's like, how many times have you seen like a Chinese guy or a black guy be the main character? Right. And so for some of these people, it's really important for them. Second question that I wanted to ask when you were talking about how with the Bible, it sort of wraps up neatly. Jesus is coming back. Everyone gets yeah. saved. How much have you read the book of Revelation? <laughs> I have read it, but it's like, because like that, that's a book where it's talking about how everyone in the future, everyone's going to go through so much hardship and people are going to die. And the world is going to be brought to the edge of destruction. And I it, think... Like, isn't that isn't that satisfying by your own metrics of bad guys get punished, good guys get out? Yeah, it is. But like, doesn't that, doesn't that wrap up nicely? That's exactly what I'm saying. You're saying exactly what I'm saying. It wraps up nicely. It just does. 
Like, and I even it wraps up nicely at the cost of like billions of people on the planet getting killed. Yeah, bad is punished, good is not. Like, that is an idealistic story, is it not? Like, once again, as a Christian, I'm not saying it's like wrong or something like that. I'm just saying, like, tell me that's not like a children's story, right? Obviously, there's more nuance than violence. Graphic violence. Obviously, it's more nuanced. Yeah, I know, like the prostitute or the the whore of Bathsheba or whatever it is. But, anyways. My point isn't the nuances. I'm just talking about just generally speaking, when we talk about the story, it wraps up nicely. The good guys get to go home. The bad guys go to the pit, you know, like can't wrap up nicer than that. Okay. But can't you, can't you have those endings in real life? Like with your cousin, Ricky, like he just got married to his fiance. Yeah. Like, can't you say that part of the ending of his story is that he got married to a lovely woman. The two were able to work together and make a lot of money in different businesses together. They had children who they loved and cared about. Sure. But like, why why would I want to read that story? That's my thing. Like outside of like a, maybe a little motivational blurb that I could read on a website or like him telling me about it. I wouldn't want to waste my time reading someone else's success story. Even if they had to go through a lot of pain and turmoil in order to get to that kind of success. I mean, like, sure, that's probably the interesting part. But you're just saying that's the whole crux is that that's the ending. Like, I wouldn't want to read that if that's how someone sold it to me. Okay. Because here's the thing. Like I said, I've read and watched a lot of movies that I was like, yeah, it's satisfying near the end. Like, one of my favorite like kids movies is like the Robin Hood one where they're all animals. Like, that one's so cute. But there's something also beautiful in it, right? And it's just like, there's no beauty when you overly simplify a story. You know, like I've read a lot of, like when I was a child, I read a lot of missionary stories, like where like they talked about like the whole life. And it's like, there's a lot of really satisfying parts to it. You know, when you learn more about the history of it, maybe it's not as satisfying, but the ending has no bearing on if I'll enjoy it or not. I think the ending can change it a little bit, but it's the body of the story. That's really interesting, right? That's what makes the story worth reading. Like Dune's ending is not very good. In my opinion, the whole book is so much better than the ending is still a great book. Still one of the greatest books, according to most people on the internet. I think, though, like, have you ever heard of the phrase, the ending is paramount? Yeah. No, like, it's it's not how you start, it's how you end. Like, there's a lot of yeah. things like this. Yeah, yeah. And it's it's like, you're talking about missionary stories. I think that what's immediately coming to my mind for a missionary story would be Nate Saint and Jim Elliott and the missions work that they did in Ecuador trying to reach a remote tribe with a culture that was essentially based on killing others. And at the end of their service, Nate Saint, Jim Elliott, three of their friends, they ended up getting killed by the tribe that they were trying to witness to. And you might look at that and you might think to yourself, well, that's a really crappy ending. Yeah. What was the point of all of that? But the point of all that I guess, is you go further than that and you see that their families, their wives went to the tribe that killed off their husbands and they continued witnessing and ministering to that tribe. And you see the beginnings of a redemption story, having that be the ending to the story instead of just saying, oh, it was all for nothing. It didn't mean anything. I think that's part of the reason why it still resonates to this day, even though you have plenty of martyrs around the world every year who get killed for trying to share the gospel. For the sake of catharsis, you can have a satisfying ending in the sense that everything wraps up neatly, or you can have an unsatisfying ending 
in the sense that, you know, the hero dies or everything goes wrong. And yet it can still be satisfying in the sense that the journey is still worth something. Like with your cousin Ricky and him getting married, I don't know what struggles he's gone through in order to get to where he is right now. I know that he's very hardworking. He's very dedicated. I don't know if you can necessarily make an epic movie out of his life. But if you knew of someone who was going through that sense of struggle and that sense of hopelessness and futility, and if at the end of their story, their fate is still reflective of some sort of universal truth relating to humanity, that is something I could consider cathartic. Yeah. Yeah. Was there one more question? Because we're almost out of time. (laughs) That was my final question. Cool. Yeah. That's fair. Just as a summation, it's like, I don't think you're wrong to seek out catharsis. I just think that, and I think we concluded our last conversation like this as well. I just don't think that when it comes to like, you know, literary stuff, I just don't need catharsis as much. Like my big thing is just like, I, I don't want necessarily just a story to be sold to me. Like I just want a snapshot of what it's like to be human and whatever that means. It's just like, I just want to see it. Like some great short stories, like of mice and men, not satisfying great snapshot into humanity and it's just i just want to see a story that shows humanity not in a different light just to show it in a different light but just like there's always something to learn and when we always hear the same kinds of stories the same kinds of guy has the trouble he overcomes the trouble he ends in the day like i've heard that story a thousand times i don't want to hear it again because that's just wasting my time in my opinion i guess my audience is going to have to determine for themselves whether or not this conversation was cathartic (laughs) because of how reflective of the human condition it is of just two guys having an interesting argument about the nature of catharsis in stories it's very meta yeah yes i don't know if we're going to have conversations like this in the future or if you want to talk about more normal things like food you would not believe how normal this kind of conversation is with me and my wife so this is my normal this is your normal yeah It'd be really great to meet you again in person. I don't know if we would ever have that opportunity, but I'm so glad that we had this time to talk. Yeah. Yeah. See you guys later. This has been Because We're Not the Same, a podcast hosted, produced, and edited by Nathan Raymond Ray, with special guest Tyler Sison. To listen to more episodes, you can follow us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Verbal, iHeartRadio, or Podbean. You can also visit our Facebook page or our website, bwntscast.wordpress.com. If you're interested in coming on the show as a guest, feel free to reach out to us, and we'll see about having you on. Thank you for listening.